Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Welcome again today to another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things life, leadership, lessons therein. And we like to do that in the spaces of sports, of business, of comedy, of music, books, pastors, great testimonies of life. The list goes on and on. And today we welcome back one of my favorite guests we've had before. As I said to him, I think in an email, I could have him back every week and not get enough out of it. So welcome again today, Tim Elmore. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be with you. Appreciate it. And, and again, I, I probably don't say this enough on a podcast. I'm, I'm a big fan of people that work with people. And Melissa Dill, who is your assistant, is phenomenal. Tell me she something. Is. We jumped in about Drew Flam, our friend, last time. Tell yeah, me yeah. like a story or something that makes Melissa even greater than I think she is. Well, I think I call her St. Melissa. So you should know that in, in day-to-day, you know, St. Melissa, Saint I call Melissa. her Mary Poppins, practically <laughs> perfect in every way. I'm not kidding. And she chuckles and puts it off, but she was a school principal before she came on to work with me. And I Whoa. thought, my gosh, if you can manage an entire school, you can certainly manage my life. And of course she runs circles around everybody, including me. So I, uh, I tell her, if you ever leave me, I'm going with you. Yeah. That's what I tell her. So. Now, how did that transition work? How did she go from a school? You said superintendent or principal? No, she was a principal of a school. Principal, and then um, she's working with you. That's wild. Yeah. So she was the principal where her kids went to school. Mm-hmm. And when her kids moved into high school, yep. um, she wanted more time with them to go to soccer games and volleyball and everything else. So, you know, that's a demanding job. When uh, you're a principal, you're up eight, nine o'clock, fielding off parents, et cetera. And so I actually am a walk in the park compared to all that. So she goes, I, I wanted to have a little bit more control of my calendar. And I said, you can do so much so fast. You'll have control of your calendar. Wow. So it's worked out really well. I really do adore her. Yeah. That's so interesting talking about this. I told you before we got on that I feel like I've got more than I typically do questions. I want to ask just because they're helpful for me. But I'm I'm a big believer. My wife was an educator. She's now um, working again, first time in over two decades, and she's on a school board. And I have mad respect for educators, on especially on a secondary and, and higher ed level, and yeah. how they do what they do, manage people, work with education. I've really been praying. We're going to hire, hopefully soon, an associate director. And I've kind of been praying it might be someone coming out of the education world who still has a lot to give those people, yeah. no systems and processes. Um, how much, how much when you hire people and you encourage businesses and churches, whoever it may be and hiring people, what would you say are like maybe in order the top three things you're looking for? Like where does what they've done up to that point? What does age play into it? What is, you know, handling conflict? Give, give me like three things you would say, boom, boom, boom. These are the most important things. Yeah. Great question. Well, for me, I want to make sure that responsibility is one of their top five strengths. You know, the strengths finder that Gallup Mm -hmm. put out years ago. So if I find somebody that they're highly responsible, which Melissa is, by the way, 
I don't have to worry about trust. I don't have to worry about, yeah. should I follow up and say, see if she did the task I just gave her? I know she's going to do it. In fact, she's probably going to do it and stay up late if she has to, to get it done. So responsibility as silly and cliche as that sounds is number one on my list. I look for initiative. That's an inward quality, mm. but someone that sees what needs to be done before I ask and Definitely. they go after it. So I always hire that. And then I do look for some experience in the industry or close to the industry that I'm in. I want them to know the world that I'm in. Of course, Melissa, we're working with educators all the time, which is a highly emotionally expensive job, whatever level of education you're in. And she was there and she thinks working with me is fantastic because it's not as emotionally expensive. Mm. Now, she may not say that. I'd say that. But yeah. uh, anyway. Yeah, I, I would say those are the kinds of things I look for when I hire. Yeah. yeah, I think it's tough, too, because, I mean, I'm sure th this is something you have to balance and watch out. I think, like, for me, in ministry world and nonprofit world, you know people aren't coming in because they're getting rich. So buying right. into the mission, buying into the cause, buying into the leader is so key. And, you know, there's always the joke, like, in church world about, yeah, you're getting hired to work part-time, but you, everybody knows you're going to work full-time. And you can almost yeah. slight people and disrespect them by doing yeah, too much. Right. And I just think that's so hard to know, Hey, we're all giving our life to this on some level, yes. but respecting yeah. boundaries and saying, okay, this is what we committed to for your sake. We can't that's kill right. you in the process. Is that, how much do you think that's an issue in job hiring, especially a nonprofit ministry, churchy kind of world? I think you hit the nail on the head. I believe because it's often a calling that brings people here you want to be guarding their boundaries for them. Mm -hmm. So they're guarding yours. In other words, I am so wanting Melissa to have time with her kids and time for a trip. She's taking a trip with her daughter next week. I want to err on that side. So she's going, well, I want to make sure I'm doubling down on, on helping you. Yeah. So I give Melissa unlimited PTO, unlimited PTO, wow. because I know she's going to go, well, I'm not going until everything's done. You know, she's going to be leaning into me as wow. I lean into her. I think that's what makes work work. And wow. and we're just loving each other, leaning into each other. And so nobody feels like I got to look out for number one, me, because somebody else is looking out for me. I want to look out for them. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I saw a comedian last night and he made a joke towards the end about generations, which is, is your love language, yeah. talking yeah. generations. And he talked about millennials fighting for gender equality and fighting for the workplace. And he kind of chuckled, like talking to a uh, Gen Zer and saying, yeah, both those things are now gone. Gender yeah. equality. There's no gender and there's no workplace. And he kind of just held his head. And it was just so funny watching him hold his head up about that's where we are. And I think you think about where all that's changed. And I'm hearing more stories of, like you said, unlimited PTO. And it seems like that's probably a good thing because people aren't going to abuse it like you think. Yeah. They're just going to yeah. work really hard. And, and I think no matter what you say the rest of this episode, that is gold for business leaders and people that are hiring people for what, what you said. So, um, Well, Jeff, real quick, one, one last thought on that. If I hire someone highly responsible, I can do unlimited PTO because I know yeah. they're going to have this sense of I mm -hmm. own my job. And that's all. Then I'm leaning in unlimited PTO. Take that trip. Do this. Here's some money. And I I probably learned that from John Maxwell. You know, I worked for John Maxwell for 20 years. John is so generous. And as he was generous with me as a 20 something, I thought, well, that's how I want to be as yeah. a boss. So anyway, I'll stop there. But I, I just feel like when we're leaning into each other and by the way, our nation right now is leaning away from each other, it mm. seems. I just I just think that creates wonderful trust 
in the on the team. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that, you know, it was a Zig Ziglar had the line about if you take care of, you know, whoever people, they'll take care yeah. of you. And it, it's so simple, but it, it's just so true on all these levels. So I want to, I want to pick your brain a little bit. I'm going way off script. So we talked okay. before we came on here about this recent deal with the Ivy League schools, Stefanik from, was it New York and New Jersey kind of grilling them. And then the one president stepped down and, and a board, I think it was, was it from Penn or, or, uh, yeah. I, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or MIT. <laughs> How do we handle that as a culture with people when you get grilled? Stephanie, I thought, did an incredible job of looking for the right answer. I don't think she came off jerky, asking a question, saying yes or no. And then they kind of danced around it. And there's, you know, since there's legalities there, there's things you can't totally answer in a one question response. What are we needing to understand on all sides of that with a leadership perspective? You, you live your world in leadership. What could we learn on all ends of how that's played out recently? Wow, that's a loaded question that probably deserves an hour. So let me give it a couple of minutes. The first problematic thing I think of when I see what's happening on university campuses, particularly Ivy League schools, is everyone feels like a victim, it appears. So think about Hamas and the Palestinians on one side, a legitimate side, but on one side. And then, of course, Israel and you know anti-Semitism and all that stuff going on the other if I feel like a victim, I'm always going to feel like someone else is the bully. And it's very difficult in our world right now when you're a president or you're a leader or whatever to play one against the other. And somebody's going to think you're wrong. Somebody's going to think you're politically incorrect when you answer and represent this group or that group. So here's what I have. I have trouble with cancel culture because of this. Cancel culture says, instead of engaging with your side of the argument, I'm going to just cancel you. I don't have to think, I have to feel. And my gosh, that's so troublesome when I don't have to critically think. So I think the answer whenever there's a hardship is seldom remove the hardship. It's be strong enough to withstand and debate the hardship. So I probably sound like your grandpa right now, Jeff. I'm thinking we are going the wrong direction for, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example with my own two kids. They're adults now, but when they were in K-12 education and they were bullied, of course, I didn't want the bullying to go on. And I wanted to make sure that the teachers were aware. But I work with my kids to be strong enough to stand withstand the hardship mm-hmm. and, and let them know we would take whatever steps. I didn't want them to feel like they were a victim, but that was just it. You be strong enough. Don't be a victim. And, and I think it paid off big time. They're both gamefully employed and they're not victims now in the workplace. So I don't know. I think that's probably enough on that one. Yeah, but, um, it's this leadership vacuum we've got, which clearly you could speak to for days and days and weeks. It's just it's very humbling right now. And, you know, kind of scary is the right word. This comedian we saw last night made an interesting comment. And I'm not going to get off on the humor of this. Just he said something very interesting that I think comedians speak great truth. He said, yes. it clearly looks like we're getting down to Trump and Biden for the next election. He said, if Bill Clinton threw his hat in the ring, and he goes, Bill Clinton, 1992, had gray hair. 30-some years later, he would be the youngest candidate of those three. And I thought, wow, <laughs> that I did not know that. I have not thought about that. That says a lot. We'll leave that I alone. Know. We're going to go yeah. hard right. This okay. is crazy to think about. We are talking with Tim Elmore about a kid's book called ironically enough i can't wait again you seem to always be ahead of what's going on in culture why this book why kids book and why now for the younger generation yeah good question thanks for asking jeff 
Well, first of all, the title is, don't we hear from kids everywhere, particularly at Christmas, I can't wait. I can't wait for Christmas. I can't wait for school to be out. This is a book containing 52 stories, one a week for a whole year, of kids that didn't wait until they were adults to do something amazing to invent a flashlight that needed no batteries, to to help somebody survive Hurricane Harvey. It's loaded with stories, stories of kids today, but stories of kids through history. And I thought this could be cool for families to talk about at dinner time or bedtime or teachers in a classroom. But here's why I think now is the key time. Two reasons, primarily. Number one, I think kids are more capable of accomplishing things than we think they are. In fact, when I look at kids 100 years ago or so, think think about childhood. I, I know maybe your listeners didn't research this, but I did. You go back 100 years, early part of the 20th century. Four-year-olds were doing age-appropriate chores around the house. Seven-year-olds were working the farm. Nine-year-olds were probably leading a task on that farm. 14-year-olds were driving cars. 17-year-olds were signing up to fight in World War I. 19-year-olds were getting mm. married and having children. Wow. Now, I'm not suggesting we need to go back and and do that again. I'm just saying it's in kids to be so much more than people to get lost on TikTok or Instagram. We have dumbed down what we expect. They need high stakes. I think most kids want to do something that's very important and almost impossible. And this is a book of boys and girls, different color, shapes, and sizes that said, I'm not waiting. I'm going to do something. Now, the other reason for this book that I think is profound is There's never been a better time to raise up a kid to think like a leader. They have access to information on their portable device at Mm -hmm. eight years old or 11 years old or 12. And I'm thinking they know stuff. Jeff, I just talked to a high school senior that very respectfully said, my teachers are obsolete. And he wasn't rude. He just said, "I I can look up anything they say in the class. Tell me something I don't know. And I'm thinking they don't need us for information. They need us for interpretation. Let me help you make sense of all that you know. So this book is a spark. I hope it's a spark giver to kids to think, wow, if Virgil did that, or if Anne did that, maybe I could do it too. You know, it's interesting about what you're saying. My wife and I were at a doctor's appointment for one of our kids today, and we were in the lobby talking. And one of the things we were talking about was our 16-year-old Alex is a Go, go, go. And not in a chicken head cut off kind of way. Just he's involved in a lot as a leader, yeah. Um, yeah. National Honor Society. He's vice president of the student body, multiple sports. Usually one at a time, once in a while, there'll be a second. And he, and he can leave the house. Some mornings before six, depending on practice or whatever else, may not get home till eight. And I think we have it for what it is in somewhat of a balance. But one of the things we talked about was, okay, like when he gets home and he asked the other day, he goes, can I stay home from school today? It wasn't just to blow things off. I don't think he had a tough loss in a basketball game, but just somewhat needing rest. And we've, one time we allowed for an allowance on that. Another time today, that time we didn't, we just said, you can miss your first class. It's a missable class for that particular thing. We'll give you a little extra rest. But I told my wife, I said, you know, like if he stayed home or even on a weekend for something, if he got a break from something, like what's he doing to feed his soul as a 16 year old kid, like to play on his phone and watch videos. I have no desire for that. That's not what it's going to be. How would you encourage parents of teenagers when their kids maybe are on the run and involved in plenty of activities, trying to have that balance. Like what, it'd be great to say, you know, go read the book of Colossians yeah. and pray it through and make a bunch of notes. And yeah, yeah. if he do <laughs> yeah. that, I'd yeah. love it. But what, what are the modes of rest or allowing teenage kids to feed, yeah. especially on their own, not just in relationship? 
Yeah, great question. Well, I don't think we ask that question enough. Well, first of all, you're describing one of our habitudes. It's called the starving baker. The starving baker listeners mm. is the baker that spends so much time making yep. bread for everybody else, he forgets to eat and starves himself. This is the number one occupational hazard of leadership, of teaching, of teachers, and, and I think of, of many high school kids as well. So what I try to do with my kids is help them balance. If I'm expending energy on a sport or a theater show or whatever I'm involved in, I need to make sure I planned in my calendar times for recuperation. And I think we need to let a teenager choose how that happens. Like some get refreshed by listening to music, maybe worship music. I don't know. But isn't it true? We all feed our souls a little differently. I like to read. I do like to read. But my wife doesn't as much. So she'll feed her soul in another way. But I think we need to help them identify how they refresh themselves and then say, now, sweetie, I got to be honest with you. You're going to need some downtime this week too, and, um, you know, just help them name what they're going to need to do to refresh themselves. Because what we don't want is burnout by middle school. something they love. And I see this all the time. They burned out on tennis because they played it for 10 years at at 12 or whatever. So anyway, that's Jennifer Capriotti. That's Andre Agassi. As you say, tennis a whole bunch of times Mm -hmm. over. It was interesting. One of the things we did recognize as we had that conversation is that Alex is a drummer, but it's interesting when he goes into his brother's room who doesn't live there anymore and he plays keyboards and he's, we're still really good at that too, but it's just, it's something different. It's a, it's a change of pace. And we're like, wow, maybe that's where we lean and encourage him with something like that. Hey, go spend Let's encourage just yeah. 20 minutes to go play your keyboards or, or whatever instead. So staying with your book, it was fascinating. I got the, the PDF to check it out before we talked. And, you know, it was a couple pages per story. And then there was a cool little kid-friendly picture. Like, I think it was the five girls from Nashville. That caught my attention being from Nashville. What were a few stories as you dug in? You were like, wow, I'm really fascinated but what I'm seeing by these people, you know, you mentioned like Oprah, somebody who everybody knows, but you probably yeah. had some under the radar things. And then how did you decipher who's staying in? And you probably had to cut yeah. some things. So clearly yeah. there was a cut yeah. pot process. Talk about that. Yeah, I gathered over 100 stories. And so and I picked 52. So I am working on volume two now, but but who knows when that's yeah. going to come out? Well, I wanted to make sure that I was p- pretty wide in whose story is going to be told. So there are stories of from history. Isaac Newton was a college student when he discovered the law of gravity. I don't think I pictured him 55 years old when he made that discovery. He was a college kid. Um, I love the story of Jimmy. Jimmy was a little boy who wasn't like the other little boys. He didn't want to play sports. He wasn't outside. He was kind of just sat in his room and, and get this, played with his socks. Wow. He took his socks out of the room. And mom and dad at first went, this is troublesome. You know, what, what, why, what are you doing here? But instead of being troubled, they thought, well, let's let him be who he is. So they bought him more socks. He used to create little personalities when yeah. he put his hand into the socks. Well, Jimmy is Jim Henson, who oh. created an entire empire yeah. of Muppets that yep. started with socks. Thank God his parents just fanned the flame of what he liked to do. Yeah. So this story is for kids and moms and dads. It's a family book, not just a kid's book. Here's another one that I love, though, Jeff. This might be inspiring to listeners. Louis lived in France back in the 19th century. And as a three-year-old little boy, he got into his dad's tool shed and was just messing around. But he picked up one of those old-fashioned awls, you know, those things that poke holes in leather. And he poked his eye out as a three-year-old toddler. 
And back then in the 19th century, they didn't have the medicine we have today. Pretty quickly, his other eye got infected and he went completely blind within a matter of, of weeks and months. So this little kid, preschool, is now blind. Well, thankfully, his mom and dad, they went into Paris in France and found a school for the blind. But their system for reading was really antiquated. In fact, it really wasn't a system for the blind. It was a system to help French soldiers read in the dark. So that was okay, but it wasn't great. So at 12 years old, little Louis, the equivalent of a sixth grader, started working on a new system for truly blind people. By 15, Louis Braille created the Braille system of leading for the 15 years old, the equivalent of a freshman in high school. We use that today all around the world. Now, here's what here's the cool part. That's a cool story, but here's the cool part. The tool he used to create this new system was an awl. The very tool that poked his eye out, he leveraged. He turned it around. The stumbling block became the stepping stone. He turned it around and used that to create this system that would help him read. So I just think, isn't that God? You know, the very obstacle becomes the opportunity if we'll see it the way God sees it. Every time. That's so cool. I love when I can catch on where you're going and can see the end result of that. So how would you encourage parents or, you know, like this probably fits well with like maybe mid to later elementary school years. Where would you best encourage people? I mean, would they do a story a week and how would they go about it? Or would it be like cram it out and do 52 day? I mean, what would be the best way to utilize this book? Yeah, good question. So I pictured two environments, families and homes and then a classroom. So let's talk about families first. Most of you listening, if you have kids, you you are part of a family. I I pictured doing this. This is what Pam and I did, my wife and I did with our kids. I was coming up with these stories as our kids were growing up, and I just followed them away, followed them away, mm. followed them away. So I picture one night a week at dinner time, and I just think we don't have dinner together quite enough as we ought to. I think we're running and gunning all over, sure. you know, grab chicken nuggets in the minivan and drive to soccer practice. Have a meal at least once and talk over a story. Maybe take turns reading the story. It's real short. And then, like you said, there's three discussion questions that you can talk over. What? How do we apply this story about Jimmy or Louie or whatever? And then there's a link in each chapter. There's a website you can go to where we put a three or four minute video on each of these stories. So from Isaac Newton to Oprah Winfrey to, you know, whatever, Jim Henson, you can you can look at a story of them as a kid And I picture once a week for a whole year. So this would be a great New Year's resolution, you know, and and let's just go through one a week. But here's what it does. It helps a mom and a dad, one, one, be intentional. Number two, actually lead at their home, not just manage chaos and hope till we get to Friday and nobody gets hurt, you know, (laughs) that sort of thing. We all have those weeks. So that's one environment, bedtime, mealtime, drive time. But then in the classroom, you mentioned your wife has been in education. I picture a teacher going, you know, on Fridays, we're going to read one of these stories and we're just going to inspire kids on seeing how another 13 year old or another 16 year old, another five year. There's kids ages in this book, Jeff, from five to 21. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, there was a five year old that saved a bunch of kids in Hurricane Katrina and uh, led a bunch of toddlers. This five year old just led them to safety. And I'm going, these kids can do it yeah. if we just give them 
a sense of agency, a sense of responsibility. You know, yeah. what I love about what you just said. I think more and more. I, I guess because I have the P- PDF version. And when does the book come out again? It's coming out in January. It's, it's out now. Oh, it it's is out. Okay. Now. Well, it's I got it before. It came, yeah, I got it before it came out. I got the PDF. I don't think okay. the PDF had the links, maybe, or did it? And I missed. No, it didn't. Because it that's didn't. exciting for me to hear. Because you know we have multiple meals throughout the week where usually it's somebody, but not a lot of times everybody. But on Sunday yeah. after church, my wife said that's when we're going to do it. So dinner might be on our own or whatever for lunch. So Sunday after church, my son's home from college. My son who doesn't live with us anymore, yeah. he was there, and I just yeah. said, okay, I want to hear 2023. What was the hardest thing about the year? Like by yeah. far, but the Lord showed up and you learned something. What's just been yeah. incredibly great about 2023? And it was interesting hearing some of the responses, but I'm thinking with a 2018, 16, 14 year old, we could do that. That could be part yeah, of could. our Sunday lunch. So call me in a few months and say, hey, Jeff, are you doing that? But um, <laughs> okay. yeah, so uh, let me take that further. So with my kids at, my, at their ages, you know, my 28 year old lives on his own, almost yeah. close to full time on our church staff, taking classes online, Lowe's part time. 18-year-olds at Grace College, as we talked about with our friend Drew Flam, doing stuff there, connecting with the church, you know, meeting people left and right. 16-year-old, I already told you, super busy, sports, leadership stuff at school. 14-year-old is transitioning. She's now in high school, lots of figuring out homework and studies, and she's bowling. How would you encourage me and people in my place how do we develop that leadership and allow our kids to flourish, whether they're fully in it? They're going to be into it, you know, whether yeah. that's conferences, whether that's books. I'm sure it's a variety there, but how would you encourage people like me, Stage of Life, to help where I have influence to invest in their leadership? Okay, good. A couple of big ideas. I'll try to be quick here. First of all, I have found over my 44-year career, there are four common pathways that kids kind of step into leadership. And I think we need to have our antennas up and look for these four paths just to see it when it's happening. So path number one is the obvious one. Some kids are just gifted to lead. It sounds like your 20-year-old might be in that category. They're just natural. I mean, I put John Maxwell in this category. I think John came out of the womb of his mother (laughs) telling people what to do. You know, nurse, I need to tell, you know. So that's probably 10% of the population, but some kids are. And I think with those kids, we need to pull them aside and buttonhole them and say, You've got a gift and you need to leverage this gift for other people. Mm -hmm. This is something you need to steward well. Don't you use it for the wrong thing and don't you misuse it, you know, blah, blah, Mm. blah. So some kids are gifted. The second way, though, that kids into leadership, this is a big wider pathway, is some are situated to lead. Now, here's my theory. I think the world is full of two kinds of leaders and every kid fits in one of these two kinds. They're either habitual leaders or situational leaders. The habitual leaders are the ones that lead out of habit. You know, whatever group they're in, whatever team they're on, they tend to take over. They just, you know, the football team's, you know, captain. But that's really small. The other, I think 85 to 90% of us are what's called a situational leader. That's what I am. And we're the kind of people that look in the mirror in the morning and say, I'm not really a great leader, but put me in the right situation. Mm. One that matches my passions, my strengths, my gifts in that one zone. I know what to do. Mm. I've never taken a class on that. And I know what to do. I've, I've got intuition in that area. I've got confidence in that area. I'm comfortable in that area. I've got influence in that area. Haven't we all seen a kid before, uh, you know, a little, little Todd is sitting in the class, a wallflower, never mm. saying a word. And then you put him on the soundboard 
what's happened to Todd? He's come alive, you know? Well, that's his situation. So our job as moms and dads and teachers and employers and coaches, help those kids find their situation. Mm. There is a God-given situation. I'm going to get teary on this one, but my daughter, mm. when she was in college, would call me at least once a year to have this conversation. She'd say, Dad, I think I found my situation. Because mm. she's heard me teach on this. And I thought... Sweetie, this sweetie, this is awesome. And one time it was an RA, you know, at the college. One time it was being on a team. But I just thought, this is what I want. They wow. can become the best version of themselves. Praise All right, God. so that's number two. The third one is some kids are positioned to lead, meaning they're not going to step up and do something until someone pulls them aside mm. and gives them a position and mm. says, I need you to do this. In other words, they never have the audacity to assume they should do it. But some adult says, yep. Noah. Or JJ, you need to do this. And then suddenly they step up to the challenge. And then the last one is my favorite, Jeff. Some kids are what I call summoned mm. to lead or summoned, meaning it's not a badge. It's not a position. It's not someone saying you should do this. It's a kid that looks out at a problem and gets mad. Wow. In other words, leadership begins with a negative emotion. When I see a kid getting mad as a high school, I, I usually think inside, good. I'm glad you're mad. Mm. Better than apathy. And, and I always say, well, you should do something. Well, I'm not really a leader. You don't have to lead anybody. Just do something. Get up off your bottom and do something. And isn't it true? When they act, they give permission to other kids yeah. to start. Acting. So it's my favorite, most natural way. I think Dr. Martin Luther King was summoned to lead back mm. in the 50s and 60s when he thought this is not right. So, okay, I know that was a long answer, but I think we got to be looking for those four paths. That's so good because I think we so often focus probably too much just on natural, obvious leadership. Yeah. And then when you throw out Martin Luther King there, there's going to be people who hear that and want to fight and say, no, well, no, that's not discrediting his leadership at all. That's kind of like you're saying, elevating mm -hmm. it. And I'm feeling kind of yeah. good if I'm honest, Tim. I, I respect you a lot. I feel like I just became Barbara Walters. When you got Terry uh, there, does that make me Barbara Walters? Maybe, maybe, maybe does. I'll, I'll take it. You're a dad. There you go. That's, yeah. Well, I'm just thinking about your listeners and what would help them. I've noticed there are five qualities inside that make me think, ah, that could be leadership one day. So it spells the word pride, P-R-I-D-E. So look for pride. The letter P is perspective or perception. I think young leaders, as they begin the leadership journey, just see things differently than other kids. You know, they see a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. It's the kid that's going out to eat with his family and they're joining another family and they run ahead to the to the hostess and go, we need a table for nine. Wow. We need a table for, you know, they, they just perceive, that they're not just thinking about themselves, they're seeing ahead. Yeah. The letter R is responsibility. We've already talked about that. I look for a kid that's just got a sense of responsibility. They can't, they've got to get their homework done. They've got to make sure that this is right. You know, that's my daughter. That's my daughter. Yeah. So I think she's got a kernel of leadership inside. Mm -hmm. The letter I is initiative. That's an obvious one. But when I see a kid showing an initiative, even if it's in the wrong direction, mm -hmm. I'm thinking, okay, yeah. you're either going to be Mother Teresa or Adolf Hitler, but you're <laughs> going to take initiative. You're going the letter D is dissatisfaction. Remember, that's that angry thing we brought up earlier. I think Mahatma Gandhi, he was dissatisfied with current conditions in India or whatever. Yeah. And then the letter E is energy. Isn't it true? Leaders bring energy to the room, yeah. wrong way or right way. And I look for that. So hopefully that's a quick 
thing that we can look for as we think about leadership in our own kids. You know, I love yeah. about the E1. My, I think of a couple kids on my son's basketball team who you always, you know, basketball coaches are always looking for that rights. The sixth man tends to be the person they yeah. could be starting, but they're going to bring a different level of energy when it's needed with a second team or they give you a boost at the right time. And you, you love yeah. those people. I mean, every, every sports fan is going to cheer the backup quarterback or the sixth man on the basketball team. We love those people. So yeah, I'm True. tempted to want to ditch the rapid five but we had such a good time with that last time i want to stay in it so tim what's your favorite book of the bible when you come across that book you're like i can't wait for the fifth time the second time the whatever to dig into that book of the bible oh gosh i think my favorite book is the book of philippians because i think about where paul sat as he Mm. wrote it or dictated it or whatever he was in a roman prison and he said i want you to know brothers my circumstances here have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel um, he's that Louis Braille guy, you know, yeah. who took the very thing. No doubt. So Book of Philippians is my favorite. Yeah, for okay. sure. What year of your life, if you could relive it again, it was so good and you had such a great experience. You're like, I would live that year of my life over again. Wow. I think it might be 2010. So I was clearly older, not, it's not childhood, but um, that year was really when we broke in big at Growing Leaders, my organization into sports. We were working with Major League Baseball teams, NBA basketball teams, NFL football teams, and then a whole bunch of college, you know, Ohio State, Alabama. It was just awesome. And I was like a little kid going out and talking to coaches and athletes. Mm. And I'm still doing that, but that was the year it really broke open and I just had a blast. It was Wow, that's so cool. I knew that would be a great question. Okay, so you have one type of dessert you can eat the rest of your life. All others go away. You get pie, you get cake, you get ice cream, you get cookies, candy, brownies. I'm probably leaving something out. Which one do you keep? Well, my favorite food in the world is popcorn. So I love popcorn and I'm a diabetic, so I can't have the candy or the sweets or whatever. Uh. Um, oh my gosh. I've got two big canisters at home. I, it was, I already, I got an early Christmas present. I'm enjoying those big cans of popcorn like crazy. So right do you now. just eat plain or do you do like cheese or what do you? Ooh, all the above butter, cheese, you name it. I, we've got a place kind of close to our house. It's got like, you know, 57 yeah. kinds and I drool when I go in there. It's kind of wow, funny. Yeah. I'll check that out. That's cool. Okay. So with, with leadership being it's what you, what you're known for, you get to have lunch with a Mount Rushmore of great leaders across generations, which is your sweet spot. Very genres. Who are you yeah. going to lunch with and what's the cuisine? Okay. Can I give you three answers? Oh yeah. If I'm Okay. So I think of three, three people. And by the way, this is down through history, right? And today or. Yeah. I actually wanted okay. four. So if you got a fourth. Oh, okay. So it is Mount Rushmore. Okay. It is Mount All Rushmore. Right. Well, one is a guy that's alive today. I absolutely love Arthur Brooks. Hmm. He's the most popular professor at Harvard University. He's a man of faith, but he leads with research and science. And then you find out his heart, you know, as he talks for a little bit. So I just got 30 minutes to talk to him recently. And I just love that guy. Arthur Brooks, Harvard prof, Abraham Lincoln. I just think about what he led through and he was a little bit depressed through the whole thing. And how did he navigate staying steady in such a difficult time when most of us would have said, forget it, you know, I quit. The Apostle Paul, I I know it's, you know, that's kind of an obvious answer, but I'm assuming you're saying it can't be Jesus. So I'm going to go with Paul (laughs) on on that one. I think Paul was just such a radical and such an, an entrepreneur. That would be, that would be one as well. And then I think another one, if I can get a fourth, this just came to my mind, Carol Dweck. 
Carol is a Stanford research psychologist and, and an instructor, but she's the one that came up with growth mindset, fixed mindset. Yeah. And I've gotten to have her on my podcast a few times and I absolutely love her. She's just a little peanut, but man, her brain is brilliant. Wow. And I always learn when I talk to her. See, I'm, I'm going to utilize some time with you later and say, I take people two or three times a year. I think I might've mentioned this to you before the Abbey Gethsemane down South of Bardstown, Kentucky. And I've been there about 30 times when I was there a couple of weeks ago, me and five of the guys left and went to Hodgenville, which is the birthplace of Lincoln. There's another place in route where you can check out something else with Lincoln. You would eat that up. It was a oh, blast. Guess what Hodgenville's radio station is called? What is it? W-A-B-E. Oh, oh, I love it. That's awesome. No, no, no guessing around there. It's W-A-B-E radio station. So we'll we'll have to talk more about offline about the Abbey Gethsemane. You would like the Lincoln stuff around there. So who's your favorite Brady Bunch character? Oh my gosh. Brady Bunch. Uh, I think it's Greg Brady, Barry Williams. Yeah. because, you know, I was younger when Brady Bunch was on and I looked up to him. And, of course, he was just on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. And he didn't dance well, but he always had such a good spirit. So I think it was Greg Brady. So a guy that I've had on here before, I'm actually getting ready to have him on again, who was one of the most significant spiritual leaders in my life. When we were doing Young Life back in the day, he used to jokingly call me Ann B. Davis. <laughs> and I'm ah. like, so what about Alice yeah. and me? Yeah, yeah, here, you got something. I, I've like I've had some nicknames over the years, but nobody's called me Ann B. Davis, so I took it with a lot of love and affection. So there you go. It's um, awesome. Let me ask you this: So I love the minute with Maxwell's. I don't check them out every day. If you're up, I check it out. If Jeff Henderson's up, I check it out. No disrespect to others, but I definitely love the the two of yours. What is it like? I'm going to assume this has happened. I'll put a Mount Rushmore up. You, Jeff Henderson, Maxwell. And Joel Mamby, have you guys sat around and talked about what you're going to do and brainstormed? And then you put those videos out because I'm like, I want to be a fly on the wall with the four of you getting together. What's that like? (laughs) Well, when we do get together, it's magic. You can imagine because we're all a little different. But um, I remember being in a room with all those thought leaders that Maxwell Leadership has, has put together. And uh, the the different angles, so it, well, like we feed off each other. Somebody comes up with an idea, then someone makes it better, then a third person mm-hmm. makes it even better. It it is magic, and I love it whenever we can get the four of us in a room together, or five or six for that matter. It's always amazing. Yeah. What do you think? Because you're, I think you're very self aware, Tim. What do you most you? What do you most bring to the table for those three? Oh wow, you know. Probably research. I don't think I'm a brilliant researcher, but I decided years ago as I started growing leaders, this nonprofit, that I wanted to be pracademic. So very, very research-based, academic in nature, but very practical in its application. We've all been to conferences. It's all research and it's boring as heck. Or we've been to, you know, it's all really practical, but do we know if this is, is there any science behind this? So I want to be pracademic, and I think I bring the research piece okay. behind maybe John Maxwell's intuitive concept of this law of leadership. Well, here's some studies behind that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. For two minutes, man, you guys pack a whole lot. And sometimes not even two minutes, so those are great. Yeah. I'm going to end with this, and we got a lot more, but hopefully you've been so good to me. We'll get you on sooner than later again. I've been, I've been in a season where I've been really wrestling with – probably for a longer haul, thinking about encouragement and the power of us encouraging each other. There's tons of scripture that supports that. But recently seeing it in my own family where there's been things going on from a lot of issues with a couple different cars to disappointment in sports, discouragement. 
I think if we put encouragement, discouragement next to each other, we would equate those on some level weightiness. And I'm learning that is not true at all. Encouragement is what I hopefully give to you or you give to me, but it goes yeah. on and we got to kind of get back to it. I think discouragement is like it lands and it settles for a long while. You know, yeah. Truett Cathy, who we're both familiar with that name and hopefully people are with Chick-fil-A, the great line, how do you know if someone needs encouragement? They're breathing. Yes. Speak to <laughs> discouragement. Do you yeah. see that alive and kicking in our culture, in our country? How do you battle against it? And again, I don't want to just speak to encouragement trumps discouragement. That's easy to say. Uh, yeah. Speak to what I'm th- what no, I'm processing. I, I think you I think you hit on something that very few of us are aware of. What was it Albert Einstein that said once it takes 14 compliments to offset one criticism? So our brains and our amygdala naturally lean toward seeing the worst possible scenario. Some don't, but most, you know, and part of it's just o- over the centuries we've needed to protect ourselves from that saber-toothed tiger, I don't know, whatever, back in the day. But I think we keep it today. So our amygdala kicks in, it's fight or flight, it's protect yourself. So that naturally leans toward what what wrong could happen here. And we naturally require encouragement. Encouragement is the oxygen of the soul. And discouragement would be, oh my gosh, it just it, it just naturally happens. So I think most of us listening right now would need to either learn to encourage themselves or they would need to make sure they're around some energizing people that make sure they stay encouraged. There's a couple of passages in 1 Samuel. When Jonathan and David met, you'll read several times in 1 Samuel, and Jonathan encouraged David, and Jonathan encouraged David. Yep. But later in the book, when they're separated, there's a passage that reads, and David encouraged himself. Isn't that mm. powerful? He had learned as he matured, I got to encourage myself. I got to tell myself the truth here. God's in control. His promises are true. The enemy is a liar. My faith is the victor. So I I just said, we're going to have to, listeners, learn to encourage ourselves because we need it and we need to believe the truth. And the truth is the end of the story is amazing. Amen. Amen. You know, it's interesting. I, I think about encouragement. I look at a guy like you and I'm like, man, does Tim ever get discouraged? I can't imagine you do (laughs) because you feed your soul so well. I heard this great story yesterday. So I dug up for two of my boys particularly, and I thought, well, hey, while I'm doing it for them, it's probably going to be good for me. I went to YouTube, typed in discouragement sermons, not discouraging sermons. That'd be a different search. Yeah, yeah. Discouragement sermons, and there was a bunch. So I finally shrunk it up and just put discouragement sermons, and I listed names like Tony Evans or Craig Rochelle or Kyle Eidelman or people, and almost every one of these had multiple sermons. And H.B. Charles, who's big in like Gospel Coalition, Southern Baptist world, he had a sermon I listened to, and I'm not real familiar with H.B. Charles, but he told a story, and people need to hear this, and Tim, you maybe have not heard this. And he tells a story about Satan had a garage sale and Satan got out all his tools and everything he's got resource wise and laid it out on a table and the items were priced pretty similarly. And then there was this one item that was really expensive. So a person goes up and said, why is this so expensive? And he said, oh, that's the tool of discouragement. Says it's the best tool I've got. And everybody Mm. that sees that tool knows it came from me. I'm like, Have you ever heard that before? No, I have not. Now, clearly it's fictitious before anybody thinks, no, Satan did not have a garage sale, but I just connected with that story so well. I will be stealing it and using it when I preach every now and then. (laughs) 
Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that's. I knew you would have something because I've been wrestling with this a lot lately. I thought you're going to have something to say to speak to that. So, Tim, yeah. I can't wait till I have lunch or something with you someday. Thank you for investing in me, and I feel very good that when this episode comes out. There's going to be a whole lot of people that are reaching out to me saying, man, you guys gifted me a lot through any number of things we've talked about on here today. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be with you again. I can't wait through Amazon, through all the right cycles. Where else again these days do people need to find out about you, Tim? Well, I'm at Tim Elmore. So that's my site. And then that's how you follow me on social media. But Growing Leaders is the next gen website that you can find a lot of the stuff I talked about. Growingleaders.com. Yeah. And certainly subscribing to Minute with Maxwell because they'll see you on there a decent yeah. bit, probably fourth of the time, at least, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's always fun. All right. Have a great day, Tim. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, okay. Tim. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.